we forecast prices and fundamentals. Whether you're a trader, producer, or consumer, you can hedge your bets with Montel's diverse forecasting portfolio. Contact us at salesatmontelnews.com for more info and a free trial. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. This week we turn our attention back to the Nordic region, in particular to developments in the wholesale power market and the impact on industry. In our previous episode we talked about very high gas prices, but this time around we'll focus on the reasons for very strong power prices in the Nordic region, the outlook ahead for the winter and the impact on heavy industry. Joining me, Richard Sverrison, to discuss are two experts who will share their extensive knowledge of the Nordic power market. Hello, Sigbjorn Selon of Stormgeo. Good to have you on the pod again. I hope you're well. Thank you, Rick. Richard. I'm well. Thanks for the invitation. Happy to be back. Excellent. And a warm welcome to you, Ole Lofsnes of global aluminium firm Alcoa. It's your first time on the pod, and I'm looking forward to hearing your views on the, on the state of the market. Very good. And uh, thanks for having me. Whether or not this is going to be the last time, well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm sure it won't be, Ole. Sigbjorn, last time we, we spoke, prices were very high and they've continued and they continue to be very high. What, what, what's going on? Yeah. Are we at a different place than we were in May when we last spoke or are, are, the, are the fundamentals pretty much the same? Yeah, we are, uh, we are in a different place. We have record high or, or close to record high spot prices all over uh, Europe. We have this very high short-term marginal cost for coal and gas, nat gas fuel power plants, which again is due to, to the very high prices for coal, natural gas, and the, the CO2 quotas, the EUAs. And um, for the Nordic market, of course, the hydrological balance is crucial. And we are approaching, say in a couple of weeks, a deficit of about uh, 20 terawatt hours, which means that the hydropower production in, this, in the next, let's say, 18 months will be about 20 terawatt hours lower than what you normally would expect. So, so um, yeah, it's, it's the two factors uh, together pushing uh, Nordic spot, spot prices to, to, to record high levels. And what's the weather outlook, uh, Sibion? Is there any, is the, what's the likelihood of rain or the, of the, um, the very important hydrological reservoirs to, to, to fill in the, in the coming Weeks, months? No, no, it doesn't look too, uh, what shall I say, too good. Mm. We are heading for, for a fairly dry two weeks, and then we are well into uh, September. Uh, regarding the, the, the filling of the water reservoirs, it, it's beginning to look a bit uh, strained, uh, for sure. It's not uh, too much time left to, to start filling up the reservoirs now. And, and, and as I said, it doesn't look too promising in that sense uh, for, for, for the coming uh, weeks and, and for, for September as a whole, I would say. So we can expect very high prices to continue? Yes. For how long is my basic question, Sigbjörn? Our simulations uh, show uh, that uh, the result from the simulation is that the, the very high power prices will continue for the next, uh, yeah, for, the, for the coming autumn and winter in particular, but, but for the next uh, 18 months. And, and um, actually, I, I don't recall, I think, to see that our price simulations are uh, that high uh, compared to, cur- uh, to current uh, market futures uh, uh, price levels that we see uh, right now. So um, 
we we are what should I say very bullish to to power prices going forward. And and just a bit uh, of the of the background here, you know, it to a large extent sort of hanging also on the high coal and, and gas prices and um, things might uh, might change uh, rapidly but it seems that the, the main driver here to high coal and gas prices is this huge growth in electricity consumption in in, in China well it's uh, it's it's a very strong driver there and, and I don't think it's reasonable to expect coal and gas prices uh, coming down very much uh, as at least in the short to medium term and, and EUA, EUA prices are high close to record high driven by, for sure, the heightened ambitions for emissions uh, reductions, the, the, the 2030 target, and, and, and also by the coal and gas prices, for sure, you know, have the, the, uh, the, the natural gas to coal switch in the European power sector, which is, which is obviously driving CO2 emissions and, and EUI, EUA prices. I want to return to some of those areas or some of these issues, but I think before we go there, I mean, the market seems to be pricing or, or or expecting prices to fall from Q2 next year, but you're talking about 18 months of, of, of high prices. Absolutely, for sure. You should expect lower prices from Q2 22 onwards, but, but still to remain uh, relatively high. And, and, and as I said, our uh, simulations indicate that, uh, that prices will, will remain yeah, significantly higher than what you could could see from the futures market right now. But, but the, the highest prices will be this fall and coming uh, Q1, Q1 uh, 22. That, that's for sure. Or that, that, that's uh, probably so. And then, of course, we heard the news of Oculator 3 being delayed again. So that's add another, that adds another very bullish factor into the, into the mixture here, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's a lot of bullish factors around the the Oculus 3 for sure being one of them. It's, uh, what shall I say? It's a catastrophe, the whole <laughs> uh, project. And, and the, the reason for the delays are maybe a bit different every time, but, but I think it, it, it sort of smells like uh, further delays the way they uh, yeah developing this. Mm. So Ole, what's your view here? What, what is the impact of these very, you know, what's your, what's your reaction when you hear that... Uh, you know, these very high prices are likely to last for another 18 months uh, at least. You should have seen my face as Sigrun was talking. It was getting more exasperated by the second. Bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. I'm sure the power producers are thrilled about this. We're not particularly thrilled, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, I work for a company that has two aluminium smelters in Norway, and their combined consumption, annual consumption, is give or take five terawatt hours. And that's roughly 3% of the entire Norwegian consumption in a year. And making aluminium is a very, very, very electricity-intensive process. If you take all the costs that fall to, a, to an aluminium smelter, it's a bunch of different things. The major cost component is the cost of raw materials. That's the aluminum oxide that we buy. But those prices are set in a global market. So when the prices of aluminum oxide goes up, that applies to everyone. The Norwegians, the Chinese, the Malaysians, the Russians, all of us. But on the cost side, the one distinguishing factor is the power price. That's what separates us. That's what drives our competitiveness. And in Norway, we are usually blessed with, let's call it relatively low power prices, than not all of our competitors, but a lot of our competitors, and the power is renewable. So that is a combination that works for us pretty well. 
And when we get into situations where power prices increase, uh, it brings a bit of worry to us because that basically pushes us out of market, but not necessarily for long periods of time. Um, so, you know, we're used to being in a weather dependent uh, power system. We're used to prices going up and down. We're used to dry periods and like that has. And of course, we do do mitigating efforts. We secure a lot of power on long-term contracts, but not all of it. For many reasons, a lot of power is bought on either short-term contracts or sometimes even in spot. And when these things happen, it obviously has an impact on us. So we do, we feel the pain. We, we certainly do. And obviously, we hope that it's short-lived. So the current situation where you've got ridiculously high power prices, and an outlook that, you know, it's probably going to remain that way for a year, maybe even more, is definitely not very encouraging. But that's not all the factors we take into account. We also have a bit more sort of a fundamental long-term view. And another thing that sort of makes us a little bit uneasy is that, as far as we can tell, power consumption is set to increase, and it's going to increase by quite a bit. And there really isn't happening much on the supply side. I mean, we mentioned Oltilovo just now. You know, sooner or later, it's probably going to come to operation. Just don't know when. But particularly from a Norwegian standpoint, there's been a bit of a halt in uh, new power supply. And um, the critical thing for us is really to sort of unclog that and, and make sure that we start building power again. Because if we move into a situation where we're sort of fundamentally more on balance than we're in a surplus, that does not bode well for us. But PPAs are quite interesting for Alcoa, are they not, Tola? I mean, uh, the company signed, signed a few to few wind PPAs? Yeah, that's right. So, so that's an option. I see that's where you're maybe contributing to, to increasing uh, the supply side. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we do. Uh, we've got three wind power PPAs. and. We're very glad that we have them, obviously. And uh, if if we do make the decision that we'll be adding to it with, say, another wind power PPA or a hydropower PPA or a mix, then you know that would be good. But uh, this is not a very good time to approach companies because obviously the hydropower producers they're gonna they're gonna use the market as benchmark. Uh, wind power producers maybe a bit less so, but then it will become an issue whether or not the project is is, is project finance. So if we were to step in and secure more wind, we would probably prefer doing it with a project that's being developed. And at the moment, there isn't really much of that happening. There's a bit in Sweden, but ideally, it would be located in Norway. You know, industry in Norway is certainly given some kind of carbon compensation, isn't it, uh, Ole? Does that, does that help the picture here? Does that ease some of the burden for, for industry? Yes, it does, which is its intention. And is this something, were you pleased that there were no changes in that, in that sort of fit for five package that came out of uh, the European Commission uh, in, in July? Well, we don't know that yet. Well, it's currently uh, sitting with ESA. We're going to review, is going to review the Norwegian government's proposal. I believe that's scheduled for September. I may have been mistaken. And then there will be a notification a bit later on. And then there will be uh, an internal political negotiation here in Norway. And then it will, hopefully, before the new year, be turned into law. 
and approved by the EU Commission, and then we will know. But only then will we know exactly what the carbon compensation is going to look like up to 2025 when the whole thing is going to be reviewed. Okay. Sigburn, if I can turn to you again. You've also seen, well, later this year, the the, the cable linking the UK uh, to Norway uh, will be in place and will be operational. What do you expect to happen then in terms of, of prices? Yeah, well, I think the consequences of the UK cable now looks to be much, much bigger in a way than what we expected maybe only yeah, like nine months or in the beginning of, of uh, the year, you know, and it, it's, uh, it shows how complicated in a way things are. But, but as it looks uh, now with, with the startup of the UK cable approaching and given the very low water reservoir filling in southern Norway and a very limited opportunity for power imports uh, from Sweden, it seems, I would say, quite obvious that prices in southern Norway will rise towards towards or to the price level in Germany for, let's say, from, from this autumn and yeah, throughout uh, the autumn and, and the winter. And, and I don't think this is reflected in the market at uh, all, uh, really. So then we're talking around 100 euros, where at the moment we're around 60. So there's a, there's a, there's a jump of around 40 to come. I'm sure that's not going to be music to all his ears. <laughs> uh, yeah, well... Uh, Maybe, maybe not, but, but uh, significantly higher uh, for sure. Uh, but uh, just as a short comment, we know how, where, where well how fast things are turning in the Nordic uh, uh, market. So, so, and you know, no, nobody know what the future will bring. And, and the deficit of 20 terawatt hours in the hydrological balance can turn into a ditto surplus in, in three to four months. And then suddenly things look quite... Uh, different. So the uncertainty is, I would say, as always, big, but everything uh, considered, it looks uh, very bullish uh, uh, going forward. And for southern Norway in particular, definitely. Both of you mentioned strong outlook for for demand growth in in the region. Mm. You know, we've seen very bullish forecasts from industry associations, the electricity industry, industry associations and TSOs. If, is there an issue that if prices continue to stay this high, you drive large industries such as the aluminium or the smelters out of the region? Is that a danger? Well, if, if they if they rem- remain very high for a long time, uh, for sure. But but the industry is used to to live with uh, with uh, volatility, so I wouldn't be too sort of concerned in the short term. And, and they and they they for sure have hedged. Uh, parts of their uh, needs but uh, that said you know uh, for, for for power intensive industry in southern norway things definitely doesn't look as good now as it did in the beginning uh, of of this year and 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 uh, and Ulo mentioned you know that uh, that the window for for developing new wind power in in norway is 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 closed as we know and and we we'll, and you will not see new developments for probably 7 to to 10 10 years. And another factor, which is very central topic, is, is how you see that this Swedish TSO limits the transmission capacities between the Swedish price areas and towards the, the neighboring countries. And the Swedish TSO has been doing this for, for some months now, but, but uh, during the spring, it sort of uh, surprised, I would say, all of us how extensive these limitations 
turned out uh, to be. And, and this has really big consequences for the Nordic power market uh, in, in both in the short and the long term, because as the Swedish TSO, they, they sort of indicate that they have they have no short-term solution to this and have indicated that, that limitations to transmission capacities can go on for, for, for years, for, for many years. And this is again, again is, a, is a significant limitation for the development of new wind power in, in, in the Nordic region, you know, with the UK cable in operation and limitations to distribute the, the, the wind power in the Nordic region. It, it does, doesn't make sense really, or it doesn't make the same, the same sense to, to develop more wind power in the northern parts of, uh, you know, in, in the in the in northern Norway, in northern uh, Sweden, and southern Norway, where you obviously now, or from a financial point of view, should should develop more wind power. It's it's impossible. <laughs> it's a very bullish mix here. A few spanners in the works, such as the 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 grid limitations um, from Sweden. But Ole, I mean, when you, when you listen to this and you you think, hmm, you know, for for Alcoa, you're a global firm. I mean, is there a real real risk that companies such as yourself will say, well? We've had enough. We can't. We can't take this. Even though we're in the long for in in the here for the long term picture, but we you know we may just move our production elsewhere. As um, Sigurd said, and I said earlier on, we're used to volatility, and we're in a high price situation right now. But these things change. They always do. They go up and down, and it depends on the weather. And that's going to be the situation also in the future. It's the weather impact is going to be mitigated by, amongst other things, the interconnector is going to Germany and the UK. Speaking of the UK cable, it couldn't have come at a worse time. But we uh, we have owners in the States who know basically, well, at least the, the basics of, of how the Norwegian and the Nordic power market works. And they also know that there are opportunities to get around this. Uh, the big concern, I guess, is the let's call it the overall perception that Norway is a low price power market. It's attractive for industry and it's attractive for electrification elsewhere too. If this situation that we're in now doesn't go away, if if prices stay high and it keeps compounding with more and more effects, uh, the real concern is if what happens if that perception changes? What if Norway is no longer considered uh, a low price country? And that may have a long-term impact. I'm not going to take anything for granted here. And, and I do think that things are going to look better eventually. But obviously, uh, we, we do have some fundamental developments that uh, suggest that perhaps uh, unless we can get more renewable power into the system, we're going to have to get used to a little bit of a different price levels than we've been used to in the past. Well, we've seen in some countries... For example, the the Spanish energy minister calling for for intervention into into markets. Do you think this is the way to go? Um, you know, some people calling for price caps. I can understand the political appeal of it, but I'm not really opinionated about that. We have a power market, and the market works well. And there's a full good explanation for why the prices are what they are at the moment. And even though policy can certainly influence that, um, there are other ways that you can influence the power market than a direct price cap, for instance. I mean, one thing is that you take a very, very close and scrutinizing look at the impact that power cables have. Um, And the other thing, of course, is, well, maybe this isn't the right moment to put a lid on developments of power supply. 
their intentions may be perfectly okay in that sense. But you know, if you know the, the competitive advantage of Norway is really that we have you we usually have more power um, production than we consume, and it needs to stay that way. And that's something that everyone knows. So, so I would I would definitely go down that route first before you start intervening directly into the market. Well, Ole, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll invite you back, and uh, we're going to keep a very close eye on developments in the region and on the fundamentals and, and the price outlook. So thanks very much for coming on to the Montel Weekly Podcast. And, and thank you, Sigbjorn, for, for joining again. Thank you. thank you. If you would like to follow more discussions on the future of the Nordic power market, the outlook for power prices in the region, and what's happening to PPAs, then follow the link on the Montel Group website to the Nordic Energy Day. That's about all from the Montel Weekly Podcast this week. You can now follow us on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message, any suggestions, questions, or if you think of a potential guest that would be very good for us to speak to. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Remember also to keep up to date with all that's happening in the energy markets across Europe and beyond on Montel News. Lastly, you may have noticed that we've changed the look of our webpage and logo. This is part of the broader Montel Group refurbishment but you can still find us at the places where you get your favorite podcast from, whether it be Apple, Spotify, or wherever. Thank you and goodbye.